to share some things we really feel like the Lord has shown us about where we're at spiritually. Um, just, just, you know, certainly an incomplete message um, because it's just what stuff that, that we feel like the Lord has shown Becky and I um, in recent days. And so I'm sure there's other stuff. We're not claiming to be prophets by any by any means. But uh, I wanted to start out and read to you about John the Baptist. Now, a lot of you know I'm a real student of John the Baptist and feel like that he's really a, a real person who can speak to us today. Um, so I'm going to read this just to kind of reset you. Uh, Luke 1, verse 5 through 17. There was in the, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, his wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, um... John the Baptist was a person in the Scripture that God used to change the times. In other words, John the Baptist was a season-changing person. God used him to usher in a new season. He was the, basically the last of the Old Testament-type prophet. Uh, but he was more than a prophet. He was a prophet, but Jesus actually said in, in Matthew 11... Nine. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. He was more than just a pro prophetic voice, even though he was that prophetic voice, but he was something more than that, in that, that, that not only John not only spoke prophetically, he changed the whole spiritual climate and brought in a new climate. So, um, you know, and, and part of that changing of that climate was to prepare to get the people of God made ready. Prepare the prepared people. The people who are already prepared to get them prepared for what God was now fixing to do, about to do. So that was really what he was he was doing now. He's a there's a lot of people like John the Baptist in the Bible. Abraham was a typical a person like that. He began something new. Moses was a person like that. Nehemiah was a person like that. There were several people in the scripture that were season changers, that God used to change the spiritual season. And John the Baptist basically ushered in the age of grace. That's really what he ushered in. Um, from the age of law, he ended the age of the law and brought in the age of grace, which we're now living in, the age of grace. Um, but now God, I believe, 
again is releasing that spirit of Elijah that was that rested on John the Baptist upon the people of God. But I believe instead of looking for an individual, God, I don't think God's looking for a person, you know. He's looking for a corporate person. That's really what he's looking for today is a corporate man to be that season changer, to usher in the new season, the new thing that God wants to do in the earth. Um, so I think it's really important... To me personally, it's important for us to understand John the Baptist because I believe God has called us to be season changers. That's part of our objective. That's part of our calling as the people of God is to change the season, the spiritual climate of the city we live in, the spiritual climate of our town, the spiritual climate of your home, the spiritual climate of your school. Those are the things we've got to see happen to see, you know, the law saved, the, you know, the harvest brought in. But God is calling us to be those season changers. And I believe we'd all, we probably all could say this morning that we believe that we are closer and closer to the actual second return of Christ, that we are living in the last days. We are living in a critical hour, and that season must be shifted. And we are the people that God has called to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, for what the Lord will do next. For his new season, and we are called to do that. It's an exciting calling. It's a tremendous calling, really. And we need to get excited and think about these things and think this is what God's called us to do. So, my purpose for talking about using John the Baptist is because I think John is a type of a person. If you start looking at his life, you can find clues of how what God would say. This is what I. This is where I want you to adjust yourself. This is what I want you to become to be this season changer. Because that's how, that's how a season changer is. That's, a, that's how a prophet, yes, more than a prophet is. And if you will just see that and say, yeah, I'll, I'll, that's what I want to do, Lord. Um, so I've got a few little points here. And in, in my little points, what I'll do is we'll share some of the things we feel like the Lord's showing us. Okay? First thing about John the Baptist, his name John actually means, this is what his name means, it's profound. God is gracious. That's the name of John. God is gracious. And I think in that we can learn a lot. Uh, as in the days of John, God brought grace to the people of God. He brought grace to Israel. He was preparing the peace, people for the, this person who's full of grace and truth. That, you know, getting them out of the, the, the law, the have to, I'm going to bring him into the age of grace. That's what his name means. That's the first revelation about John. Uh, Jesus said, you know, he wept over Jerusalem, said, you didn't, you didn't see, you know, you didn't see this is the day of visitation, the very thing you cried out for, the very thing you were wanting. It, you know, it came and you missed it. Well, we could miss the same. We could be, we could miss the spirit that God wants to release that would take away the veil off of us to be able to see and not miss our day of visitation the very thing that we've prayed for, the very thing that we desired. Okay, one of the things that, that, uh, that I believe is that, and this is sort of a change in my perspective about our nation, is that I believe that God has, has given our nation a window of grace. Okay, that God is, has opened the window of grace for the United States and is saying to the United States, I want to have grace and mercy on you as a nation. I'm not ready to judge you. I'm not ready to condemn you. Um, when I was uh, a couple weeks ago, I saw the Wall Street, not the Wall Street, the New York Times, and 
huge article. It's talking about the year 2004. The the title of the article was The Year of Passion. The Year of Passion. And the article was about, you know, this year these things happened in America. The Passion of Christ. A excellent movie about the crucifixion of Christ. Excellent in every aspect that it was a very high quality movie. It wasn't a B-grade Christian movie that was pumped up out there. It was it was quality it and it showed visually, you know, an aspect aspects of Christ being crucified that many of us just haven't really and that was shown all across America. It was the talk. There were debates. There were you know you know, the Jews, the Orthodox Jews lining against the Christians, y'all are trying to attack us, you know, I mean, the whole thing. I mean, imagine that. Could we ever imagine such a, a blessing on our, on our nation as that, as that movie? And we hear reports that even in other nations, uh, Muslim nations where this movie is going, thousands of, of people are being saved through that movie. Thousands of Muslims turn into Christ when they see it because they really didn't know about Jesus. And they, you know, and the reason the Muslims were willing to even show it is because they thought, yes, a Jew hater, you know, because of all the stuff. Yeah, these guys have made this movie about the Jews, and so we'll go show it, and you know, <laughs> and people are getting saved in these nations. We were somewhat disappointed in America that there wasn't a big, you know, harvest that came out of it, but we don't know yet. But we are seeing that in the world that that movie is having massive impact. And that really is a blessing from the Lord. It really is. And we had to see that was God's mercy and grace for our nation. Many people saw the gospel. Many people who never were darkened the door of a church saw the gospel preached. Another thing, and you may disagree, you know, and that's certainly, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to bend you politically, but um, we heard, you know, after the elections, you know, and CBS guys, you know, which are just your t- typical liberal media, saying, you know, it, it is as if the conservative Christians' prayers were answered over this election. That, that, that's what they were saying. And we've seen statistics and things that were, were, for the first time in many years, that the American people vote, you know, a bunch of them, enough on the win, you know, not all of them, but voted for morality, for morals over economics, which is one of man. I mean, we think in America somebody would vote for morals over economics. I mean, that's, that's miraculous. And we need to see that these are things that God is saying to us as a nation, there's a grace window for you. I want to help you. I want to reach out. And we've got to see as the people of God, this is the mercy and grace of God reaching out. Just like when John the Baptist came, it was the mercy and grace of God. He wasn't coming to wipe them out. Jesus wasn't coming to wipe them out. He was coming to save them. He was coming to answer their prayers. It was a time of grace. It's really important. Now, um, this is interesting. In 1964, Bob Dylan, y'all know who Bob Dylan is. Bob Dylan was a secular prophet, whether people realize that or not. He was very much a very prophetic voice, but in 1964, Bob Dylan was a secular prophet. And Bob Dylan released a song, and the name of the song in 1964 was The Times They Are Changing. And it would be interesting for you to go and look up the lyrics of that song. It's just frightening lyrics, because what he prophesied happened. Bob Dylan in that song, you know, he has like, what do you call those, you know, a stanza, is that what they call them? Stanzas. Each stanza, first stanza, he addressed the people of this nation. 
first stanza. Then, the second stanza, he addressed the secular media. And he called them the, the prophets with the pens. That's what he called them. And began to tell them what they need to prophesy. Told the people up there, this is what's going to happen. Then he addressed the congressmen and senators and told them this is what's going to happen. It was like, oh gosh. <laughs> we were just thinking it was good, good music for those who, who got in, into that. And lastly, well not lastly, but the last group he addressed were mothers and fathers. Okay? That was the last group. And he talked to them about what was happening or going to be happening with their kids. And his prophecy came true. Now, I wanted to give you the last stanza. That's all I've got here. I didn't want to give you all that. But this is the, the last stanza in his song. It says, The line, it is drawn. Listen to this. The curse, it is cast. The curse, it is cast. The slow one now will later be fast, as the present now will later be past. The order is rapidly fading, and the first one now will later be last. The times they are changing. You see this word, the curse? The curse, it is cast. There was a curse released in our nation in the 60s. He was prophet. Now, I'm not saying John or Bob Dylan released that curse. I'm saying he sang a song. He prophesied about this curse. Okay? And I wanted Becky, if y'all don't mind us doing a little tag team dancing here, to come out here and share some, some of the things the Lord showed her. The one reason I got this song is the Lord woke her up in the middle of the night with this song. The times they are changing. It's king to this song, and I looked it up. So <clears throat> One night I did wake up, um, just couldn't sleep, and I started hearing Bob Dylan sing that song and I just thought whoa what is that about and um, then it was interesting at the women's retreat just a few days later I um, was waiting for prophetic ministry for my time and some women were waiting in the hall and Alice Casperson came and she, she just randomly came and put a book in my hand and said read these pages and she knew nothing but she handed me the book by Michael Brown Revolution of the Church and he was talking about Bob Dylan's song and I thought, Lord, what are you saying? And um, and I just, you know, some of the things... Gosh, I can't see over this thing. Let me get out here. <laughs> um, one of the things that he talks about in this book is in the year 1968, there were some pretty major shifts that happened that you could see. Uh, one of them that was interesting before... Not, well, in the year 1968, Martin Luther the King was assassinated in Kennedy. I mean, there are major things that went on. I think there was a huge terrorist thing in France in 1968 that almost overthrew their government. Um, and also in 1968, they said this literally happened, that fraternities in college used to basically be clean-cut guys before 1968. Up to that point, were pretty clean-cut guys maybe would do some drinking, but by the end of 1968, they had all grown their hair out, and they were all doing drugs by the night of 1968. It was the cool thing to do. And not only that, in college campuses, all the rules had been lifted. There were no curfews. It all went away. It was like the gate had been lifted. Uh, that was one of the things that happened um, in 1968, and he, Michael Brown, this is the other thing, um, he said that he's done some surveys with people that are like 50 and over, 
if in their lifetime, um, if in their lifetime, their high school experience, if they knew anybody who committed suicide or or had abortions, and hardly anyone ever even heard of that. But now, if he asks kids this day, you know, it's like um, that are like 20 years old in their 20s right now. Everyone in the whole room, their hands go up, and they don't know just one; they know many. So you see, there's just been a huge shift, and um, I think what Byron's just want me to say to you, what I just feel like the Lord was saying to me, is the times are changing. That somehow I feel like in the spirit, we're at another critical time like that, and I feel like what the Lord is saying that as a church we have some decisions to make. I, I think one thing he alludes to in that book is just a lack of prayer. I think Byron will talk about that. But um, I just feel like that we need to hear that there's a shift in in the time and that we need to hear what the Lord is saying to us right now. And just like Byron is saying, there is, I believe, a window of grace for us um, in the church that God really wants to reverse all that. You know, he really wants to whatever door was open during that time that I'm telling you has affected probably every one of us in this room. I mean, I mean, not one of us have not... I mean, the drug right now, the drug thing is unbelievable. I mean, I have a whole family that's into drugs. That My daddy was Baptist. My mom raised us in the church. But that movement destroyed my family. I mean, we were a really respectable family. But now, and not only that, it's not just siblings, now they're kids. It's just like a curse that she keeps reaching and reaching and reaching. And even, you know, the teenage pregnancies that are going on. See, all that unleashed during that time period. And I believe the Lord really is speaking to us that He really wants to reverse that curse. We found out recently, I didn't know this, that suicide is the number two killer of teenagers in, this Amer- in America. Suicide. That's a bad statistic. So, But what we're saying is we believe the Lord is saying there's a grace window that He's got for us. And He's ta- trying to get the people of God's attention that He wants to change that. He wants to reverse this curse that was released on America. He wants to reverse it. That's God's heart. And He's not saying, okay, America, I'm done with you. You've killed too many babies. You've you know, done too much wrong. I'm through with you. That is not the truth. God is not through. He is reaching out to us and saying, People of God, I want to change this. I want to turn things around. And, and, and I'm asking you to wake up. I'm asking you to pay attention. I'm asking you to join me in what I want to do. Because He's searching for a people who will become the John the Baptist of the day. Okay? So we believe God is saying, because I've always thought, Yeah, He's going to get us. You know, we're dead, man. We deserve it. But I feel God is saying, No. There's a grace window. If you will turn, if this nation will turn, I want to. I want to reverse the curse. I want to break that thing. And it's not God's heart to destroy a nation or destroy a people. Amen. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing I wanted to take it back up. To this was about. It said and in, in back there in the scriptures about John. It says, "Do not uh, be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Your prayer is heard." And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and she'll call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Um, 
I be, you know, John the Baptist was born through prayer. That's what, he, you know, it was prayer that released him into the, into the earth. I mean, it was, it was praying parents. And we feel right now a strong calling from the Lord. It's time to tell the, to, the intercessors to get, to get back in the gap and tell the watchmen to get back on the wall. Because in the last few years in the body of Christ, we've seen the intercessors lag, you know, get tired and quit, basically. And we've seen a lot of watchmen walk away, just, you know, for whatever reason. And the Lord is saying, you've got to get back now because it's a time for us to really start praying. Just like John the Baptist, those people had been praying and praying and praying and praying. And the Lord has promised joy and gladness for us. If we will begin to participate in this intercession, this crying out, this prophetic intercession, this prophetic seeing of what God's doing and begin to pray and get really Lord. And I'm not talking about getting into legalism. Who wants to do that? I mean, you know. Uh, here's a very interesting statistic that will shock you. Okay, especially all you die-hard Republicans in this room. Under President Bush's last four years, which is coming to an end now, abor- the rate of abortion actually grew in this nation. The number of abortions increased over the Clinton years. Now, that's a, that's a bad statistic. Now, the first question is, why? Well, there, I think there's two reasons. I think the first reason is obvious. Democrats are much more socially driven. They have a lot of welfare type programs. People get on those programs. Having babies can be advantageous. Uh, there's money to help support them. De- re- you know, Republicans get in. They eliminate those, those programs. They eliminate the government-driven jobs. People don't have the money to have babies. They get pregnant. What are you going to do? Can't afford the baby. That's one of the reasons, but I think that's a governmental issue that certainly needs prayer. But I think the other real issue is this. Oh, well, President Bush is in office. We can relax. Everything's going to be okay. And that's not the truth. The church can't relax. Just because, well, most, quote, most of the church, you may be one of the people on the other side, it doesn't matter. That's not what I'm talking about. But most of the church think, oh, if we get the Republicans in or Bush or whoever your person may be in, we're going to be okay. That is not true. On any level, that is not true. Don't fool yourself. Okay? That man has a job to do. The government has a very specific job and calling in God's economy. And they need to govern. That's their job. But our job is to pray for them. The Bible's clear on that. And if we relax, if we relax and think that our government, just because, well, we're happy because our party got in, everything's going to be okay, we are deceived. We're deceived. And I think that statistic, that about abortion, tells the true story. We have a job to do also, the church does, the body of Christ does. And one of our jobs is to be on our face before the Lord praying for this nation and not think that righteousness is going to prevail just because the right guy or the lesser of two evils or, or you know, however you want to say that, has gotten into, into power. And I think that's a clear word from the Lord that we need. When I heard that statistic, I was like, oh, man, we've really got to get before the Lord on this. We can't depend on any man, any party. We've got to depend on Christ Himself, on the Lord Himself of this nation. And that's, that is our job. That is our business. Their business is to govern. They have a job, and we need to be behind them, praying for them, supporting them. But we better make sure that we are doing our part in, this, in the governing of this nation. And it's through prayer. And it's through, you know, just practical ways of letting your voice be heard, etc. I mean, I don't want to get into all that because you know how I am, but 
Um, Becky, you want to, Becky wanted to say something about prayer. Um, actually, he wanted me to say something about prayer. <laughs> oh, I just, you know, um, really just want to exhort you just how wonderful prayer really is. It's just, um, you know, if you can find somebody to pray with, we don't have an official prayer meeting in this church, but it would be my hope that you, on a regular basis, find somebody to pray with. Um, I, I tell you, it's my favorite time in the presence of the Lord is in prayer. With you know, praying with the Lord, but it really with somebody else too, or in your small groups, whatever. Because um, I just believe that you know, this is the truth. It's it's just the fundamental of of being a believer. That's what you do. Is you pray. There, it, if you just want to put it in a, in a nutshell, what a believer does, well, you're probably number one thing that we're all called to is pray. And um, you know. Jesus said, you know, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That's really what the church is about, is prayer. And um, I just lately I felt like the Lord, you know, have y'all, did you tell them about the praying menaces around here, that they were all over the place? Were you going to talk about that? I don't know if you did. Um, y'all have heard it. There were praying menaces all over the build, all around the grounds one day, and we really felt like the Lord was highlighting that again. And and about the same time, I started reading Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala, I guess that's his name. He's, they pastor the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. And reading their story of, um, what's his name? Well, Cimbala. Um, but it just encouraged me, because here's really simply what that church did. They were nobodies down in Brooklyn. I mean, you know, the church, the guy wasn't even officially trained. Um, his wife wasn't even trained in music. They just sent, they, and they were struggling, and they simply on Tuesday night decided to have a prayer meeting. And, and they quickly decided that they were going to put more focus on that Tuesday night prayer meeting than they would even Sunday morning. They just made that their commitment, and they started doing that. The Lord began moving with them in an incredible way, and the Spirit of the Lord fell. And I just love the simplicity of what he said. He says, we were just crying out to the Lord. You know, we get so bogged down with the details of prayer, but the truth of the matter is, is it's just crying out to the Lord. You know, it's like, help. You know, I mean, that's really what the Lord responds to anyways when we really cry out to him. And that's what they began to do. And the Lord just so moved with them. In fact, he just said at times when he would walk in on Tuesday night, and there would be, I, I, I presume they just kind of prayed all over the church because that's kind of what it seemed like to me. I, um, but he just said that it was almost like heaven for him. Um, he, You know, you could just hear people crying out for their their sons and their daughters who were in drugs and alcohol and just incredible things that he just said just the the spirit of God there was the closest thing to heaven he felt like he would ever know on earth was during it's during those times of prayer and um and I just testify to that I can just you know just just during prayer I just encourage you 
prayer is what we are called to do. It's a basic, fundamental thing. And it's as simple as just crying out to God for help over every situation that we face over our nation, our families, our congregation, our cities. That the Lord, you know, has he's put it in us. He's really put that in us. And um, I think that's... I just want to tell you what happened with them, though. Out of their simplicity to follow the Lord that way, the Lord began to move with them. And that tabernacle... Have y'all heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? Well, this lady, his wife, was not trained in music. The Lord began to use her out of this prayer meeting. They would pray before their choir practices. They'd have this choir. And they would even pray before them, but the Lord began to use their choir in a mighty way. They, you know, started with the people in the church, but then they started opening it up for people off the streets. So they had people off the streets coming and joining their... And and people really started finding the Lord that way. Prostitutes were saved from hearing the music. So I just, you know, it's just... I believe out of the prayer is where our destiny flows, you know. And I believe their destiny flowed out of that you know, to the point where they were pursued by Nashville and a recording, writing songs, and none of these people that sang were trained. She wasn't trained. God can do so much with so little, but it is going to happen. We're going to birth things. We're going to grab things. That's how we access heaven is by reaching up there in prayer. We access what's in heaven and bring it to earth. I don't really understand it, why God has tied himself to his movement in the earth, he has tied himself to our prayers. And I just want to say, Lord, stir us again, you know, stir us again with prayer. Amen. So that, that's another point from John the Baptist's life is prayer. That's the second point. Keep keeping up points. All right. Uh, number three, uh, in, the, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. Um, we believe that John the Baptist had a tremendous uh, preaching gift for repentance. That people need to repent. And he was a daggone bulldog, I mean, a junkyard dog preacher. You know, who warns you, you brute of vipers? <laughs> you know, he was, he was a rough sounding preacher. We'd get in trouble if we did that. But what was he saying? Think about it. Repent. Listen, this is what he was saying. Think about repentance. Listen, the very thing you always wanted, the very thing you always wanted, that's why you need That's why you need to repent. You wanted the Messiah. You wanted the King. You wanted God to come, come to Israel. That's why, that's what he was really saying when he, when he preached that message. Um, so I, I think this is what, what I believe is this. I think this is critically important for us as a people is that going back to John means the grace of God, the graciousness of God, I believe, I feel like this. I feel like it's almost impossible to truly preach biblical repentance without a revelation of grace. I I really believe that. I believe if you don't have a revelation of grace, because John was the grace of God, and he was able to repeat, to preach repentance. Jesus was, was full of grace and truth, and he was able to preach repentance. He didn't put people under the yoke of law. He didn't put legalism on them by preaching repentance. And there's a, there's a way where grace empowers you to preach true repentance, which true, true repentance needs to be preached to the church because we, 
you know, we've talked about the recent moral failures of, of certain prominent Christian leaders. Well, go to a pastor's meeting sometimes, and you'll find out about many other stories of not-so-prominent preachers, pastors, men and, and women of God who are fallen that nobody really knows about because they're not prominent. Nobody really cares until they find out they're in the ministry. It's rampant in the church. And my thing is, if it's rampant with the preachers, I bet it's rampant with the people of God. And, you know, people having affairs, people in, you know, fornication, all this kind of stuff. You know, morality is very important to God. God cares about our morals. He wants us to be moral, upright people. He really does. He's concerned about us being, you know, because He's called us to purity, because He's pure, and He wants that to be released in our life. But without grace, how are we going to, to preach those messages to people when, if we're putting them under a yoke of legalism to be right? Because that is not true rightness outside rightness. It's got to come from the inside. And so I believe God wants to, to prove Himself that the kingdom is right here. It's accessible to people. And if we would turn towards that kingdom away from whatever we need to and we could find out how to say that to people that, yeah, you need to quit sinning because you can have something wonderful in your life. It's not a bad... It's not like God's out to gun you down and He's mad and He's going to put you on probation and stomp your hide if you don't. I mean, that is not what Jesus or John the Baptist preached. They were saying, listen, Jesus cried over at Jerusalem because they wouldn't hear Him. He wept over Him. He said, I long to draw you to Myself. That doesn't sound like somebody who wants to say, I won't get you, you sinners. He didn't do it. It's not biblical. It's because Jesus was grace. And we need grace to tell people, repent, you've got to repent because God has something for you. Not because God's mad at you. And not because you're a rule breaker, because everybody's a rule breaker. And if it wasn't for Christ, we'd all have the, the wrath of God on us. We would. It says that in the Bible. He says He's a propitiation. He, in other words, He turns wrath away. We deserve wrath. Think about the prodigal son for a minute. He came back to the Father. I'll be this servant. I'll be your slave. Forget it. I don't want that. The Father didn't even hear it. He said, no, you're my son. I love you. And that's what God really wants people to see, that revelation of grace. That's how He is. And as we gain a revelation of grace, we can go to people who are, who are mired in sin, mired in sin, and lead them out of it. And lead them into true freedom in Christ, not this false religious freedom that does not work. We've got to quit doing that. No wonder the world doesn't like us. We preach a gospel that's not the gospel that, that Jesus preached. It's not the gospel that Paul preached. What is wrong with us? What is wrong with our gospel? It's not the gospel of the Bible. The gospel of the Bible is based in grace. It's based in love. And when we learn that, we can go to the worst sinners like John the Baptist and said, You brood of vipers! But they heard love in it. They didn't hear condemnation in it. And they said, Oh gosh, what are we supposed to do then? That's what their response. Somebody calling you a brood of vipers. You sorry rascals, you. What can I do to be right? Because they heard love and grace, something pulling them, not something them driving them and beating on them. Probably I hope I'm preaching to the, to the choir in here this morning. But that's what John means. John means the graciousness of God. We need a revelation of grace so we can preach repentance. We must preach repentance. We must preach against lawlessness. We must preach 
God has called the Christians to live a pure life, a right life, not to be indulging their flesh. But if we don't have grace, we'll never preach it right. And therefore, we will never set people free. They will never get free. God wants to set people free. Now, that's the truth. And I promise you I wouldn't preach this morning. <laughs> I am very passionate about that. Because I realize, I, Lord, I just need some grace in my life because I know you've called me to purity. And I know you've called people around me to purity. And I need to be able to say to people that I love and care about when I see them stumbling and drifting from God, I need to be able to bring them back. I don't need to, be, to have to judge them or criticize them or beat on them to bring them back. And the only way I know to do it is how did they do it in the Word? How did John the Baptist do it? How did, G, how did they get by with brood of vipers? They got by because there was grace in it. And that's a, you know. Anyways, um, I'm not going to let Becky talk about that one. She can get really mean. All right, this is the last point, and we're going to finish here. This is exciting. And he went into all the region, Luke 3, verse 3 through 6, around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. And then he talks about, this is how we're going to do this. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Well, obviously, spiritually speaking, this is talking about men and women's hearts, okay? Every hurt in you healed. Every arrogant place in you smoothed down, knocked the rough edges. Every crooked place, every rough place, God wants to heal people's lives. I was in a meeting this past week with a pastor and we were unfortunately talking about all the moral failure and how we should respond and he shared 18 years ago he had fell in adultery. That was 18 years ago. You know, thank God he's completely restored today. He's from a very successful church in South Carolina. But he was saying, man, you would not believe the guilt and the shame that was on me. And it wasn't being restored to ministry that I cared about. I just wanted to figure out how to live my life that somebody could help me live my life again and not feel so awful and, you know, be able to love my wife and get along with her. He says, all I needed is somebody to heal me. And he couldn't find nobody to heal him. But you know what? The Lord healed this guy. The Lord sent these angels to him and said something like this. You need to give what belongs to the Lord. He said, well, what? Because he thought he was, I'm dead. These angels are coming to get me. I'm at least getting out. I and mean, that's what the poor guy thought. He said, no, we want you to give what belongs to the Lord. What is it, Lord? What does belong to you? It's all that guilt and shame you're carrying. All that guilt and shame you're carrying. And they took it. He said, I'll give it to you then. Here, take it. I don't want it anymore. And he was restored. God restored him. God healed his life. We believe that God has there's an anointing right now for the healing of lives. I'm talking about everything in your life. I'm talking about if you've got a headache, if you've got your toe, your big toe was swollen. You know? I'm talking about if you have been raped, if you have committed murder, God wants to heal that in you. 
That's what he's doing right now because he wants to fix us. That's how we're going to be prepared. What does he want? A bunch of messed up, unhealed, messed up. Because here's the truth. This is the truth. If you're hurt in any area of your life, you got hurts, you know, you're going to see things through that hurt. So you don't see things clear. You don't see if you're wounded and hurt and have bitterness or whatever has come into your life, you're not going to see it right. But when God heals you, then everything looks different. The world looks different. The people around you look different. I'll tell you this. I guarantee you this. There's stuff in everybody in this room that you need God to heal y'all that you don't even know about. And only the Holy Spirit can show you. Because that's what happened. I thought, Lord, I didn't know I was even messed up there. He said, yeah, but I want to heal you. And it does liberate you when you get healed. It liberates you. And it not only do you get healed when God heals your heart, the people around you, because you're probably being a jerk, <laughs> treating them wrong. You know what I'm saying? Not seeing them right. Suddenly you become different. And the things they did that was so like, oh gosh, he's driving me crazy. Like, Lord bless that man. I love him. I love him. I can overlook that. That's stupid. You hear what I'm saying? It, it'll change your life. And Becky has a couple of things she wants to say on that, and then we'll end. This is very important. Okay. <laughs> um, back to when the Lord woke me up with a Bob Dylan song. <clears throat> I heard that times are a change in it. That just kind of came to me in the middle of the night, and it was kind of strange. Right behind it, I started hearing Psalms 24, 4, you know, kind of um, in place of the tune of that song, and it's who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his presence, he who has uh, clean hands and a pure heart and has not lifted his soul to any idol. And I really felt like that's something the Lord's doing, but it was not in the typical sense of you just get it right now. You know, that's the way you kind of take that psalms. You, now, if you're going to get to be in the presence of the Lord, you better be right. But what I really, when I read it in the Amplified, um, it says this. It says, Who shall go into the mountain of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who is not lifting himself up to falsehood or to what is false nor sworn deceitfully. And I felt like the Lord started speaking to me about this, about the truth in our hearts. And a lot of the women know this because we talked about it at the women's retreat. But I believe that the Lord wants to free our hearts from the sin that's in there. And the way He does it is by truth and grace. They're married. And as the Lord begins revealing the truth to our hearts about us, about me, that that's how we really get free. And that's how we really get to ascend to the hill of the Lord. And with a pure heart is as we open ourselves up to Him to heal our hearts. And um, and I think about that uh, scripture in Revelation that says there's a tree whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. And I really, you know, he the Lord really came to set the the set us free, the oppressed. That's really what He came to do. I love this. I read this last week. The Lord, um, and I think I shared it at MCA, the first time he went into the synagogue, he quoted Isaiah about coming to set the captive free, you know, to heal the brokenhearted. And he closed the book, and he said this, Today, 
the scripture is fulfilled. That's what he came to do. And I believe as a body, when we begin to see if that's what he came to do, that's what we need to be doing. We need to look around to the world around us and ask the Lord, send them to us, Lord. Use us to heal their hearts, Lord God. Because if, they, if, if their hearts are healed, if their hearts get free, they're going to be really free. That's real freedom is healed hearts. Because if my hearts are not healed, sin really does lurk in there. All kinds of bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, pain, it just it breeds it. So the Lord really wants to set us free. And I believe that's really about the pure heart and ascending the hill of the Lord. I, that's why I believe it's the season of it. I, I believe that. Times are changing. But the time is this. The Lord is healing His people. He wants to heal the people out there. And I believe if we'll say, Lord, use us. We'll go. You will be so blessed in how the Lord will use you. You know, it, it's a, it, I, we've been seeing the Lord do it already. It's just amazing, really. We're, it, it's, it's just exciting to see what God's doing in that area, just getting us free. I mean, all of us have it. All of us, we have it all the way back to as kids, stuff that's pained us in our life. The Lord wants to touch every bit of it, every room of your heart. He wants it to be set free. And he will do it. Amen. You know what the great thing about it is? You don't do anything. He does it. You just sort of like, duh, I'm there. You know? And God's at work. And that is an exciting thing to do because there's no pressure. Lord, we want to send them, send them to us. Oh, gosh, what are we going to do? You know, spend all this time. No, the Lord just does it. And you just sort of just hang around with the Lord and as he does what he does. And that's how God really wants it to be. And there's real freedom in that. And I just say to you, I, these are things that we believe the Lord is saying. Okay, those four points. He wants to heal people. He wants prayer. He wants a revelation of grace so they can be real preaching of repentance. And He has given the Amer- America a window of grace. Okay, that we have a window of grace. The window hasn't shut on this nation yet. God is still for, is still for us to heal us. And what He's saying... I'm looking for the John the Baptist corporate people who will rise up and do what John the Baptist did in the Bible. Amen? Who wants to be here doing that this morning? Just raise your hand. Let's stand up if you want to do it. If you don't want to, sit down. Or you can stand up too. You can fake it. You know. <laughs> and we'll just end on that song, Who May Ascend. And Lord bless you. And may God really speak these things to your heart. May you really hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. Because I believe this is the Lord speaking to you in spite of me. Amen? So God, help us. Amen, help us. So, you know, anybody wants a benediction? Lord bless you. You have been benedicted. We're going to finish on this worship song. And if you would like prayer this morning, amen, Venus and and Rhonda, if you want, they're going to put their money where their mouth is right now. If you want prayer this morning, they will love to pray for you for anything or whatever. You know, if you're a man and you want to talk about some sexual dysfunction, please don't talk to them about it. Find some man. But, you know, if you want to be prayed for, it'd be good. Yeah, Matthew, y'all can talk to him about your dysfunction. Oh, yeah, salvation. Well, hey, they may need to be saved. If you want to be saved this morning, Jesus wants to save people. Come see Matthew. Matthew.